Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we're reviewing The Little Mermaid, talking Fast X's box office, and director Rob Savage joins us to talk about his new film, The Boogeyman. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 263 of Real Blend, a podcast that has just as many writers and directors as a raging bull, according to the <laughs> new Mac streaming service. Where would I rank on that iMac? I'd probably be last. They would probably figure out a way to put like Gabe no, you'd, first. you'd be worse than last. You'd be second to last, because at least second last sort of gets the and, and Sean O'Connell. Oh, you'd be right. second gotcha. to last before the fancy... But we're all creators. Creators. It's the way that it all breaks down. On this week's show, we are going to review Rob Marshall's live action adaptation of The Little Mermaid. Uh, we're talking Fast X. First, the box office, and then we're going to add Fast X to the tier list. And for so many people who have been listening to this show and waiting for it, resident Fast and Furious uh, guru, expert extraordinaire, Kevin McCarthy is going to weigh in with his Fast X review. Uh, That's right. And then. And then we have an interview this week. Uh, director Rob Savage has a movie coming out called The Boogeyman, an adaptation of a Stephen King film. And uh, we literally just a Stephen King short story. And we literally just got off the um, the line with Rob. And so that is going to be included in this week's show. Um, by when I say that we got off the air, I mean, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who I've spoken to uh, already, spoken about already. He's from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kev. How are you, sir? Uh, good afternoon to you, Jonathan, Jacob, Gabriel. Uh, always an honor. And, uh, you know, I thought about you guys last night. I went to a Blink-182 concert yes. and I was, you know, those guys have been together for years. They've broken up, gotten back together multiple times. And I was, I was looking at the stage, I was watching Tom DeLonge and like watching him admire Travis Barker and Mark Hoppus as musicians. And I was like thinking about our show. I'm, this is not a BS. I genuinely felt this way. I was looking at them on the stage as a band and I'm like, look at how much they admire each other and kind of like how much in sync they are as a group. And you think about these kids who got together at a young age and then went off and became this massive, successful band. And just to see them kind of like Travis at one point even like told Tom, oh, you did a great job tonight. I saw him or I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, great job or something like that. Like, it was mm -hmm. just cool. And I was like, man, that's just that's kind of reminds me of our show and kind of we feel I feel like we're in a band that's um, beautiful. And, we, and we and we kind of play. Each of us has our own instrument of what we're into, but we all flow together in a weird way. Um, so I don't know. I, I was watching them thinking about us and going, oh, it's, it kind of reminds me of what that feels like to be in that. sync with your with your guys new, so, uh, very cool a new question for the real ones what instruments do we each play in this band that's that'll be the uh, uh, all right do we I have an accordion, those answers a harmonica <laughs> yeah, just let us very, know. 
who's who? who's who who's the diva lead singer that's the, that's jake <laughs> <laughs> uh that is jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago hi jakey how are you uh you are muted off. There we go. I've been spitting gold for like the last five Boom. minutes. I've been giving you gold and, and you didn't even hear it. I've made like eight Yoko Ono jokes. For a lead singer, you don't really have good mic discipline. <laughs> for a lead singer, you didn't pay me yet. I don't, I don't drop a, a voice for you until I get paid. Hi, guys. Good to see you, sir. What's um, going on? If you are watching us on YouTube, well, let's say hello to Gabe Kovach as well, too, who's sitting in the producer's chair. Hello, Gabe. How are you? I'm here. Same chair as always. Same chair as always. And uh, if you're watching us on the YouTube channel to see what all of us are up to, uh, thank you for joining us. Please head down, give us a like and a subscribe. Leave a comment. Comments really help, uh, we believe, push the uh, show forward in the dreaded YouTube algorithm. Uh, so go to youtube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Uh, and of course, the audio version is available all the different places that you get your podcast needs met. Have you signed up for Real Blend Premium? Well, let me tell you the things you get with Real Blend Premium. You get a newsletter. Now you get a newsletter. Uh, so you, say you get nudes. It's delayed. No, you don't want those. You pay. I, I, heard, I heard nudes letter too. Right. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, what's, what's funny is, and just in all honesty, I, I had clicked off the screen because I was, I, I got my email had just dinged and I was trying to silence it or whatever. And I, all I heard was nudes letter. You get like, a nudes letter. <laughs> did our show, did it, when, 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 when did that it's, happen? It's, uh, it's premium. I mean, premium, baby. You're, you're getting you, premium you, content. You get your money's worth. <laughs> Shot on film, by the yes, way. Yes, exactly. Uh, an ad free version of the show a newsletter from myself and uh an extra segment that comes on mondays and we're gonna have some fun stuff coming up from there um but in the meantime the meat of the show tends to be the interview that we get to do on a weekly basis with uh filmmakers that we admire and and filmmakers who we're speaking to for the very first time and this time out it's rob savage who has a had a movie called host which uh, Jake was a huge fan yes. of and was beating the drum for at the time. For people who don't remember, Host was the one that was basically set over a Zoom um, with girls who were trying to conduct a seance in their different apartments. Uh, he is now back with a film called Boogeyman or The Boogeyman, uh, adaptation of a Stephen King short story of the same name, Jake? Yes, it's called The Boogeyman. It is called The Boogeyman. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and, and did you, any of you guys read it by any no, chance? No, I did not. Um, I mean, well... Do you want to? Because there's some there's an interesting sort of. Well, I mean, I it's like know. it's theoretically incredibly different, right? Like the whole sh well, the whole story takes the, place in a therapist's office. Yeah. The short story is uh, there's a scene in, in the movie in a scene. I believe it's in the trailer where yeah. a man goes into a therapist's office and talks about how his three children are dead. OK. And that they think everyone thinks he might be responsible, but it's actually he's fairly convinced that there's a boogeyman in the monster's closet. Uh, or in, in, there's a boogeyman monster in the kid's closet. I, I, I wish the boogeyman's catchphrase was bless you. Like someone sneezes. <laughs> like, like, I feel like after he after the boogeyman kills someone, it goes bless you. There's never been a, more of a need for a rap on this show. And, and then a huge Kleenex logo pops up on the screen. and He goes boogie. All Man. right. So anyway, let's uh, let's move on we to lost our, it today. our interview with Rob Savage. <laughs> Rob Savage, as mentioned, director of The Boogeyman, and he's going to talk to us about that and host and Stephen King and a whole mess of other things uh, in our official Real Blend interview with the director of The Boogeyman. Behind him, that's the best Evil Dead, no question, is the second one. That's my favorite movie of all time right there. 
It's I, I, I dude, I was on a red carpet once for uh, was it the Oz movie that Raimi directed? And he yeah. comes down, he does the whole line. And I'm like and he gets to me and I'm like, hey, I've been wanting to ask you this question since I was a kid. How did you do the hand moving around in the you know, in the in because he was anima. I guess it was like a claymation or animatronic. However, they did it back then. He looks at me and he goes. I'm not telling you. Then just walked away, and then two seconds later came back and answered it. But I was like, my heart <laughs> dropped. I was like, I've been wanting to answer this question since I was like 12. Was that was it claymation? Was that? I think was it, was, that it was stop. It was stop motion. Is how they did it back then. Yeah, I think because Disney's just going. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. We can just talk about Evil Dead too if you want. Rob, welcome to the Real Blend Podcast, my friend. If you can't tell based on this, this initial, you know, chit chat, we are massive movie fans and we're so excited to have you on, man. Um, I'm going to kick us off because, as you know, I am a massive fan of Host. So I lit up Thank like you. a light bulb whenever I saw Celan Baxter make a fun little appearance uh, in the movie being watched on YouTube. So I'm going to start us off with a really nerdy question, which is when in the timeline does Boogeyman uh exist in relation to what happened in host and does she know what happened to those poor girls that she set on a path to uh to communicate with the spirit is she aware of, of what happened what their fates were wait ask that again i'm, I'm really hung over from the premiere so ask, ask me that one more time <laughs> if, if uh if the character of sealant exists sort of in the boogeyman universe i'm just sort of curious okay. oh, no, like, I, got just a, I got you yeah. i got you yeah. i got you. i think the timeline goes as such i think you could you could watch host and then there's a scene where there's a scene where Salen says um, they're hearing a, a creepy banging noise and she's like, oh, it's my groceries. It's my delivery. She goes to the front door. She goes off camera for a little bit. She walks into dash cam where she meets Annie's character doing a picking up a delivery, gives her the demonic, um, demonically possessed old lady, comes back, ruins the girl's nights with uh, with the seance. And then I think Boogeyman's probably like Boogeyman's probably a couple of years later. She's gotten away with it, you know, and uh, maybe the characters in the Boogeyman heard a story about, you know, these these girls who all died on a Zoom call. And then and, but it just becomes kind of local folklore and bleeds off into the background. So I think Salen by this point has gotten away scot free. That's awesome. Uh, so for our audience, so we obviously have an audio component to our podcast. We also have a video component to our podcast. And uh, for anybody who's watching the video component, uh, shout out to Rob's poster behind him, which is Evil Dead 2. But more importantly, he's wearing a new Beverly shirt. Mm -hmm. Before I get to my question, I love that you're wearing that shirt. I mean, just uh, in terms of theatrical experience, do you remember going to that theater for the first time, what that theater means to you? I mean, I think the first time I went to that theater, because I knew that the first time I was in L.A., I knew that I had to go to the new Bev because it's got such a um, a reputation. And, and you know, and I, I looked at the program and it was like, I want to see every single thing everything. I just want to live in this, live in this theater. And I yeah. still I still pretty much do. But I think the first thing I saw was like Kentucky Fried Movie or something like that. It was just it was like it was just it was the only thing that fit into the schedule. And I went there and I had a blast and I think I fell asleep. It was a midnight screening. Um, but I tell you what, I went the other day. A couple of weeks ago, um, they were showing Carrie, Brian De Palma's Carrie, at midnight. Um, and I hadn't seen that movie since I was 15, maybe. Um, and they played it, and they had a bunch of Stephen King trailers playing before it. They had um, Dolores Claiborne and, and and The Shining and all these like great original trailers. And then uh, the experience of watching Carrie again for you know probably my second or third time watching it, 
was just one of the greatest cinema experiences of my entire life. And I really now think that that's the best Stephen King adaptation ever made. Oh, wow. I think it's probably it's wow. probably, it's probably De Palma's best movie. And I love De Palma. Like he's better than Blowout. Filmmakers. What's that? Better than I Blowout? Think, you know why I think it's better than Blowout? And I think Blowout was, was, was uh, you know, that was top of the pile for me. I think the thing I forgot is how how funny Carrie is and how compassionate that movie is. That movie is so, that movie has so much um, heart and empathy and, and so much of that comes from, from Sissy SpaceX performance, but it's, um, it's so much more true to the book than I remember. I remember it when I watched it as a teenager. I, I, I remembered all the, um, the, the fire at the end and the split screen and all the style. Sure, sure. Um, but De Palma's quite a hard filmmaker. He's got quite a hard edge to it. I think this, this one has, um, uh, just a real delicacy when it comes to um, the character and and it feels true to the book, which is one of the first Stephen King books I read. And I don't know. I just, I think it's, I just think it's a perfect movie. It and really Rob, you know, he threw right. his, he threw his manuscript out. You know that, right? He threw the Carrie manuscript out. I heard that. And, and his it was wife, Tabitha who wife dug it back it. up. Yeah. She dug it yeah. back up and read it. And she was like, I think you have something here. You should probably keep going. Well, yeah. Rob, you, you have a major <laughs> movie coming out in theaters. You should strike a 35 millimeter print and show it and do new Beverly. Like Quentin's been like showing newer films and the yeah. on 35, even if it wasn't shot 35, they still strike it and they play it there, which we've would be insane. 30, I think we've got a 35 mil print because part of the, um, yes. as soon as I found out, as soon as I found out this movie was going the theatrical, um, I went to the studio and I was like, now we're going theatrical. There's one thing I've always wanted to do is to take this movie, which was shot on Alexa as a digital movie still looks very beautiful and we shot on anamorphic lenses and it's got a very soft, you know, filmic look. But I was like, I've always wanted to, um, to have a movie put onto 35 and redigitize, you know, do a, do a film out. So, so we, we put this movie onto a 35 mil print and then put it back into the digital space and just tweak the grade a little bit. So the movie that you'll see in cinemas, even though it's, um, it's on a DCP, it's still got film grain and flicker that, that's that's genuinely from a 35 mil print. Cool. Um, so it's got a life to it. You know, um, Parker did it on smile. Um, yeah. And we had the same colorist and he recommended it. And it's like, it's transformed the movie. It looks so good. And that's perfect. I'm glad you brought up smile. Cause that's actually my, my, my question is actually about horror in the box office. Because if you look at the past couple of years, especially the last year and this year, smile, evil dead rise, black phone, I think all crossed a hundred million. And with coming out of the pandemic and obviously people getting back into theaters, horror movies seem to be striking a major chord. They always have, but particularly they're doing really well. Like, like it's a genre that crushes theatrically as a, as a filmmaker. Why do you feel that is, why are we seeing so many people going to R rated horror movies? I know yours is PG 13, but mm -hmm. at this, at the end of the day, it's they're taking people into these theaters and these movies are made for very little money and crushing. It's the communal experience. There's nothing better that, you know, if it's a really well-made horror movie, feeling like you're in the palm of a filmmaker's hand and they're kind of drawing you through a tense scene and you've got the payoff of a great scare. When you're experiencing that with a room full of 100 people and you know that everyone is on that same razor's edge, it's, there's nothing like that. And every horror fan in the world knows that. We know it's the best the best genre to watch uh, in, in the cinema. We know that it's the, it's the smartest of all the genres. It's the most entertaining. It's like, it's... Uh, it feels like everyone keeps forgetting it and then remembering it and forgetting it and then remembering it. And we kind of keep having these resurgences of horror. Yeah. Uh, Rob, this might sound like an odd question, but it's a, it's a line in the film that the three of us were immediately obsessed with. 
Um, like we started texting about it after the three of us saw it and we immediately all knew what it was because we'd heard it. There's a, a moment where uh, the young daughter is showing up on the school bus and she's pulling up in front of her house and there are ambulances there from a previous experience. And some kid says, I want to paraphrase, like, man, is your dad dead too? <laughs> and I have That's to know so messed up. if that was scripted or improvised. <laughs> was it meant to be funny? Because it's such a tremendous line. Yeah. It's, meant to, it's meant to be funny. It's like, it's one of those lines that I can't believe we got away with. We, I, <laughs> Dude, we, we thought the same thing. We were like, how is that line in the movie? It's so insane. There's so much stuff in this movie that I can't believe we got away with on a PG-13. Um, no, I, I, that, um, I'd love to take credit for that. That was Mark, Mark Heyman, our brilliant writer. Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. This movie was meant to be R until like two weeks before we started shooting. Like, oh, wow. We, we had a conversation with the studio and, and and to be fair, I mean, it's the it's it's the, it was it was the right direction to take because it's it's the boogeyman. It's the you know it's the 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 prime audience will be will be um, uh, younger horror fans or fans just coming to horror and and this character and this mythology lends itself to a younger audience as well as hardened horror fans like us, but. Uh, but at the time, at the time, I was like, "What the fuck? How are we going to make this?" We, you know, we we knowing what we do in the very first scene of the movie, mm-hmm. knowing uh, some of the kind of weird Lovecraftian body horror that we go into in the third act. Um, I just thought there was no way. But we didn't really. We had, we had to cut a couple of f words. But apart from that, um, apart from that, we didn't have to change anything. And you coached that kid on his delivery for that line. <laughs> Yeah, oh, we did like seventeen takes. <laughs> I, so I, that line is so great. I it's tell your writer, now. yeah, that it's such a. It's I, I could not believe that that character said that. I was like, oh, that is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, when you think about some of the greatest Stephen King adaptations of all time, uh, one of the things a lot of them have in common is that they're based on his short stories. So you look at Shawshank mm-hmm. and The Mist and Stand By Me. And honestly, I love Apt Pupil and Secret Window. Uh, I'm okay. curious as to why you think for a man who is known for turning in thousand page behemoth novels, why you think it's so often his shorter novellas that tend to inspire the, the greater adaptations? because there's more room for growth i think sometimes you know i I think a lot of times when there's an adaptation that doesn't quite work of any novel it's because that story has already found its perfect medium you know it exists Mm. it exists on the page and that's how it's um it's been conceived and you 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 always need to find a way to kind of translate the written word into something that's visual and cinematic and um and you need license to do that and if it's a really beloved book you can feel too beholden to the text. And I think his short stories, they always scratch at such um, disturbing kind of profound ideas. And it's the ideas that then blossom into these, these amazing movies and the, you know, the best of these movies feel true to what's what King was discussing in those short stories, but not, not beholden to to the structure or the dialogue or, the, or, or, or even the characters, you know, our movie is, um, our movie is, is, building i hope you know in an interesting way off the themes that he laid down in the short story but um you know most of it is invention most of it are new characters and um uh, a whole new story 
You know, Rob, one thing uh, and we talk, we all talked to you for our television uh, junket uh, a couple days ago. And one of the yeah. things that you told me in that interview, which I wanted you to expand on here, was the connection to Jaws and the idea of one second less in your movie of the uh, boogeyman than the amount of time we see Jaws on screen in, you know, in Spielberg's film. And one of the you know, it's one of the most iconic film stories ever that 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 the reason the shark isn't seen as much in Jaws is because of the mechanical breakdowns. And and that led to one of the greatest aspects of that film and not seeing it yeah. and how scary that was. Um, I'm curious when you when you told me that I was curious when you figured that out. Um, was that in the edit? Yeah, it was definitely a choice in the edit. We had a lot more boogeyman shots planned. And um, and a lot of that was just not quite knowing um, how much you'd need to give the audience to help them understand the mechanics of certain scenes. You know, the boogeyman is, is um, stalking one of our character. How much do we need to show? How much can sound do? How much can light and shadow do? And it was really just because, you know, the boogeyman is, is this kind of like amorphous term and it really represents anything that we're scared of it that lurks in the darkness. And I and, and I knew that everyone kind of has their own idea of what this this creature is. And, and, and even if it's not a creature, everyone's got their own fear that they that they project into dark spaces. And that was the fear I wanted to play on for most of the movie. I wanted it to feel more like a haunted house movie than a creature feature because as soon as you see something that's 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 flesh and blood and you can punch it on the nose, it's immediately less scary. You know, it, the more it can exist in a supernatural space, the scarier it's going to be for an audience. And so I wanted to, you know, I, like I knew it was a, it's a big studio movie. You're going to have to see the the uh, the creature at the end. The family's going to have to fight it. It's going to, you know, it's um, there are certain um, requirements that the audience are going to they're going to want to to you to deliver on. That being said, I wanted audiences to leave feeling like there was still room for the, them to project their own fears onto this thing. So when they go home, most of the images they're remembering from the movie, it's it's things like the the eyes in the dark or just seeing a foot disappear under your bed. It's these kind of quick glimpses that then you can fill in the blanks on. Um, I think, you know, the worst thing would have been is if if everyone left this movie being like, oh, I've seen the Boogeyman. Boogeyman's not all that scary. You know, you, yeah. you, you didn't want to like defang the like the scariest character of all time. But how did you, you know you were a second less than Jaws? How did you even know how many seconds the Jaws, oh, the Jaws well, is in the movie? Well, this is one of the benefits of this is one of the benefits of having you know having a bigger budget. We had a big edit, big edit team. So so Pete was does the the um, the main editor had two edit assistants, and one of them I would task with keeping a weekly tally of how many frames of the movie the creature was in. They'd literally go through and count the frames, <laughs> cut after cut after cut, and we'd put the tally on the on the whiteboard outside oh, that's the edit. Cool. That's cool. Um, and we had, yeah, we had Alien and Jaws and Boogeyman next to each other. Oh, cool. that's awesome. Where are you awesome. in, in comparison to Alien? Oh, Alien, I, I can't, maybe I'm getting this the wrong way around. We've got, we're one and a half seconds less than Alien and one second less than Jaws, or it might be the opposite <laughs> round. Wow. So it's, less, it's less than both. Pretty cool. good role models. Yeah. Those are pretty good films. <laughs> it's a good list <laughs> to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've heard you tell a sliver of this story, but I know that there has to be a lot more to it because um, one of the most amazing trips I got to do uh, on behalf of a film was visit Bangor, uh, Maine, and do all the Stephen right. King stuff. And it was on behalf of um, the Dark Tower movie that came out, which was unfortunate, but that's fine because it got me up there to do some yeah, amazing yeah. stuff. And we watched the Dark Tower in the theater. You know, that's his favorite theater next to the. Chinese mm -hmm. restaurant and all that jazz. And I know that you brought a working print, you know, up to that. Tell us more about that day. Tell us more about being up there, you know, bringing well, no, that here's cut the thing. to him. Here's, here's the thing. I, I, 
I I didn't actually go up there. I was oh. I, this is the thing. I I wish I still I still haven't I still haven't met the guy. We've been we've 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 been texting and emailing and and keeping in touch. But um but no, I mean we were finishing the movie. That's the thing. I was racing to get all the VFX done. So he was seeing a cut that had unfinished VFX. Okay. Just in case, just in case he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa pump the brakes. We've got you know this 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 is a travesty. We need to recut this." So we didn't. It wasn't anything anything um close to finished. It was. Uh, uh, still missing a lot of sound and VFX work, but um, okay. no, I wish no, I wish I could have been there. Although, um, although that would have been an awkward conversation if he'd hated it. Speaking of Stephen King, it is interesting that I feel like once a director gets a shot at adapting a Stephen King novel, at least the the best ones basically say, "All right, I'm going again." Uh, you look at Mike Mike Flanagan, uh, yeah. you know Rob Reiner, Frank Darabont. Uh, never never stopped at one. Uh, so I'm sort of curious: Are there any other uh, King titles that you have your eyes on, sort of looking at it, and whether whether it be one of his more famous or maybe one of his lesser known, maybe one of his short stories that people don't know as well, where you there's think, damn, short, that yeah. would be cool. There's a short There's a short story that I'd love to do, and I've even um, messaged King about about this, and he. He seems he seems excited by the idea. I don't you know I don't know if it's if if we're going to be able to pull the rights together or make it happen. But it's um, the the Langoliers. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. oh wow! Good luck. Yeah, which That's I a think tough is, one. Which are, yeah, but I th- I mean I think there's there's it's such a great setup. There's so many great great characters and moments. I think you have to slightly. Um, you know, distance yourself from the, from the TV movie. As fun as it is, it's uh, there's 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 a definitive version of that that could be really scary, um, and really. I, I think I've got a I think I've got a really cool take on it as well. But I remember that was one of the stories that really um, kind of lit my mind on fire as a kid when I read it. Oh, that's, that's well, I think I think awesome. that could be a really cool example of almost like what we got with it, the miniseries in the early 90s. And then yeah. uh, and then it the the two part film that we got a couple of years back where it's like they can exist in their own different moments mm. in time. But you realize, at least for me, when when Andy's it came out, it really made me realize like this was never meant to be made for ABC seven o'clock primetime television. Yeah. And, no, and exactly. few King stories are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that'd be, that'd be, yeah, that'd be my number one. Damn. I want to expand on that then, because now I'm curious because we're sitting here talking to you. You had a major film opening up in theaters. You're texting with Stephen King. You've shared somehow an idea of how you want to approach that. Like you literally are in the conversation. You were talking to the right person. You have a major studio film coming out. What do you do now? Like, how do you then further that idea? I mean, it sounds like, you have like you're in how do you then do it like what's the hold up it's it's a lot of its rights you know most of most of stephen king's stories are kind of um uh, most of stephen king's stories are kind of tied up elsewhere or they're in active development or they're in inactive development but still it means that we've got to kind of unpick it but you know the the um the will to do it is there so hopefully um hopefully if this movie doesn't bomb there'll be some movement there wow very cool uh, I want to bring up something that you did at the junket uh, recently for one of my reporters um, <laughs> for for the TV element of it. People hopefully will get a chance to see it when these videos drop. Oh, I do wish I could honestly keep this going forever, yeah, yeah. but it was really wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I thought you were going to punch him. Oh, no. I, uh, I mean, fight or flight, that was I a guess good, I ultimately went back. That was a good reaction. Yeah. That says a lot about yourself. <laughs> First off, whose idea was that? And secondly, what it proves to me is that a, the jump scare in a film is, is to me really, really difficult to pay off because most people who are pretty savvy are like, 
oh, here it is, you know, here it's coming kind of thing. Uh-huh. The reporters that I've watched the footage of, like, you got them, essentially. Oh, so completely, completely. And I, you know, like, I'm I'm used to, I'm used to getting a lot of kind of like slightly disparaging questions about jump scares. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big defender of a great jump scare. And uh, so it was nice to be able to put that into action. It was, um, uh I don't know whose idea it was. I was certainly game for it. I did a bunch of that on on host. You know, I had um we'd kind of created these like exploding cupboard doors for for the for the movie. And so I'd rig those up and and whenever a, a Zoom interview was getting boring, I'd press the button and my cupboards would explode and send food. <laughs> and um and it seemed to go down a treat there. I've just got to, I gotta step it up each time now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh Rob, I do wanna uh talk about host just because you brought that up and and i've been singing the praises of that movie honestly since it came out i've been talking about it It was on my top 10 list of the year the year that it came out Uh, i mean just for people who've never seen it the things that you had not only did you basically direct these incredibly talented actresses via zoom basically like we're doing right now you had to walk them through basically how to do their own special effects because there are some really incredible special effects shots that you had to come up with and then explain to them how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a completely different experience than what you have with Boogeyman, where you have a massive budget and you could actually be in the same room as your actors. But are, is there any through line of a lesson that you learned on host that you found yourself using on, on Boogeyman or are they just two completely different experiences? I mean, with, I, th- I think, I think the thing, the thing with, with host and this translates over to Boogeyman is that I had to first help the cast understand the language of a scare, the language of horror movies. None of them were big horror movie fans. So we did a bunch of movie nights where I showed them the conjuring films and I showed them uh, ghost watch and I showed them a lot of the movies that we were calling on. Um, so they could understand how, you know, when we were setting this up, what we were going for, the kind of timing of these things I had, uh, you know, I had fishing wire and pulleys and all sorts of stuff sent to their houses so they could kind of craft these, these different scares. Um, and it was the same thing on Boogie. There's a lot of scenes where it's people following strange noises down hallways or, you know, they're creeping into dark basements. And, um, you know, the, the the best thing, the best thing about working on Boogie, but working with um, Sophie Thatcher is she's like such a huge horror fan. Yeah. And so whenever we, were, whenever we were setting up a scale like that, she totally kind of knew the mechanics. She knew that, you know, when you're reaching for a door handle, you don't just reach for a door handle and, and pop the door open. You've got to hesitate and you've got to falter and you've got to play those, um, you know, push those buttons. And so um, there was definitely a kind of, uh, that kind of definitely translated between the two films. I want to follow up really quickly, just because you touched on something that I think all of us have experienced, which is, an actor in a horror movie junket confessing to not loving horror movies. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to talk horror movies with actors. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis and Nev Campbell. I mean, so so many of the greats go, look, I don't don't watch these fucking movies. It's not my thing. Is that, are you surprised at how often that's the case that actors in horror movies openly, yeah, like, I don't, I don't like these things. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's just, I think a lot of people who say that, don't really watch the best horror. I think they've got an idea about horror movies and they don't really think it's worth their time. And so they don't invest in um, some of the great horror cinema that's out there because the, some of the best performances of the last decade have been in horror movies. Yes. It's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not something to be to be sniffed at. Um, and I think, 
I think probably they're just scaredy cats and they don't really want to watch it for that reason. But we were uh, championing Mia Goth and the work that yes. Mia Goth has been doing oh recently. God. Like she's yes. Tony, Tony Collette, Tony, Tony Collette Hereditary. Tony yeah. Collette and uh, Florence Pugh, you know. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. These are incredible performances. I thought Alyssa Sutherland in Evil Dead Rise, I thought oh, that yes. was a hell of a, hell of a performance. Yeah. Um, you know, like you don't see people being pushed to those extremes in other movies. You know, no. you, don't, you don't get a scene like the the dinner table argument in Hereditary. You don't get that in a normal drama. And that's sure. that's got nothing to do with with horror or demons or decapitations. Mm-hmm. It's just like really great, intense acting. Yeah, damn right. You know, I think of I, when I think of horror movies, like I, I sometimes think of some of the scenes that have like just left a, a an imprint on me and just in terms of maybe something that was so brutal or so disturbing or so horrifying. And I, uh, there's a few scenes that I always think about like event horizon, a couple of scenes yeah. in that movie or, but particularly the one that I thought about a lot recently was Mike Flanagan and with Dr. Sleep and Jacob Tremblay's death scene in that film, the Rebecca oh. Ferguson scene, just sequences that will, I will never forget seeing for the first time that horrified me in such a way, but immersed me in the, in the world in such a way uh, as a horror, horror filmmaker um is there a particular horror death scene that you that you think about that maybe like uh, affected you the most or made you like gave you the most disturbing vibes because like i i don't know that i've seen anything more disturbing recently with than dr sleep with that that flanagan death scene that was just that that scene blew my mind you know what i watched you know what i watched just two days ago that i thought was one of the most upsetting movies i've seen (laughs) ever at least in in recent memory is this movie uh what's it called soft and quiet okay i've never seen it oh no. okay great okay no this honestly honestly don't so watch it without reading anything more without let's let's stop the conversation right here go yeah. and watch it it's a movie it's shot in a single take it's it's incredibly well done it's totally not the movie you think it is and it's, it's soft and quiet soft and quiet it just hit on netflix oh yeah okay. watch it don't even read the synopsis right. Okay. There's, there's uh, a moment in that movie where my jaw was on the floor. Like I, yes. I've never seen him. I've never seen a movie like that. Because I mean, what about like early? What about earlier horror movies? Is there a death? Like I always think of the scene in Pet Cemetery when he when the kid slices the Achilles tendon uh, uh, under the bed. There's just some. Some of those are so brutal. Yeah, God. Um, I think probably the one. I mean, I was more kind of like gleefully rewatching this, but when. Um, What's his name gets ripped in two in Day of the Dead was always my oh, favorite. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Romero, classic. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this one because we're about to run out of time. But it was interesting sure. you talking about performances um, in horror movies because I, mm-hmm. your movie, while while the entire cast is great, doesn't work without Vivian. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah. you need her to carry so much of the film. Um, mm-hmm. What was it like collaborating with her? What was it like when you found her? Um, and how complicated is it to explain some of the things that have to happen uh to essentially still a child totally she's she's well i'll answer the last question first she is um you 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 talk to her just like just like any other cast member she's she's the absolute definition of an old soul she's nine years old but just like so she's been acting since she was like you know this big and she's um She's Princess Leia, for God's sake. She's Princess Leia. She was in Bird Box. She's she's just incredible, and she's so in control of her craft. You uh, you know, the first couple of days, I was I was I was talking down to her, talking to her like a kid actor, and she was kind of just like she was patiently kind of rolling her eyes at me, and and it just became apparent that you could you could ask anything of her, and she had a she had a, a 
a well like developed process of how to get there. You know, I was I was trying at first to like um, set a spooky mood and I pretend to be the monster and make noises and try and, you know, get, try and like elicit reactions that way. And she 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 was just like, Rob, I don't, I don't need any of that. Just give me a second. And she would just say, take 30 <laughs> seconds, do a breathing exercise and like tears would start streaming down her face. And she'd, uh, you know, she'd um, she'd be able to get herself there. Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah. What a gift. And she yeah. does light a lot of the scenes, which is really kind of cool. I want to give her credit yeah. because like, like when you're in a dark scene and she's rolling that ball, that that's the source of light that we have Completely. as an audience. She's uh, and she, you know, and we were, we were, we were improvising a lot in those scenes. A lot of the best jokes in this movie, a lot of the little like expressions that she, that she gives or looks that she gives. So it all comes from her. Like, there's so much of her natural personality in this movie, which I think is why so, so many people warm to her as a character. That's incredible. Mm. Well, we are thrilled that this movie got um, rescued from streaming, I guess is the way to say, and, and is getting right. a proper theatrical release uh, as some of the best horror movie has horror movies have done recently. And we're really excited for people to get a chance to check this out. Rob, thank you. know, the night after your premiere, man, we really appreciate you jumping on with us and, and talking oh, about thanks the film. So much. This was fun. Cheers, guys. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you very much to Rob Savage for joining us on the show. And of course, thank you to our good friends at Disney for hooking us up with the director. Uh, we're very excited for you guys to get a chance to see Boogeyman. It is in theaters next week. Uh, we just wanted to run this to get it onto your radar to let you guys know about a new horror film that should be um, coming out soon. In case you don't want to go see The Little Mermaid or uh, you want alternative programming. So uh, speaking of alternative programming, let's go switch over to an action blockbuster that dominated the box office. The Fast and the Furious franchise returning for a 10th installment, uh, I guess 11th, if you consider Hobbs and Shaw. And um, 
than a, a slew of short films that Vin Diesel has done in between in between the different movies, including was the one that one that he did El Bandolero or Los Bandidos or something like that. Kevin, you don't know this? Vin I've Diesel did a short this. film that led into Fast and Furious Four, and it was called Los Banditos. I want to say I don't know. I'm off. The, I'm off the chain. This, 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 is, this is the first I'm hearing of this. What? I've never heard of this? No. Gabe, help me out. Uh, Los Bandoleros. You were right the first. Time. Los Bandoleros. Yes. Yeah, it's a short film directed by Vin Diesel that is meant to to. It's a prequel to. Uh, Fast and Furious 4, whatever Fast and Furious 4 was called. Fast Ampersand Furious. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if this is the official poster, but on IMDb, the poster is f- the Fast 4 poster, but the text is Los Bandoleros instead. Excellent. Of- <laughs> it's the Excellent. same exact poster. Terrific. All right. Well, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to Kevin McCarthy's review of Fast X because Kev is uh, our resident Fast defender, essentially. Um, and hadn't had a chance to see it when we talked about the show on last week's episode. So, Kev, yeah, you went to go see Fast. Uh, yeah. Set us up. Give us the whole rundown. Was it popcorn, milk duds, uh, slushy type of situation? Literally, uh, yeah. Opening no, no, night. No. Opening night. Yeah. Okay. So it was Thursday. Yeah. So I mean, as I mentioned on the show last week, this has been a big part of my life for 22 years. I mean, I used to work at a movie theater. I used to sell tickets to Fast and Furious. I, used to, I saw the first one nine times in theaters. So every time they release a movie, it to me, it's like a, an episode of my favorite TV show coming out every couple of years, essentially, is what it feels like. And I and if you're not in on these movies, then you're not going to like these movies. But if you like the characters and the family aspect of it and the story, and I enjoy all of that. I love the grounded moments and not just the action. I like the quiet moments. I like the dialogue. I love Tyrese and Ludacris. Um, and I'm not saying this is like Oscar worthy award winning material, but it is so damn entertaining. And so, yeah, it was like, I, I kind of have a like it was a fun thing. I, I, I had to work that day. I had a six o'clock showing of the movie. I, I was all amped up. I was going to go to the theater, get my popcorn. I got my milk duds. I got my mixed icy, which is blue and red. Sometimes mm-hmm. if I'm feeling if I'm feeling a little spicy, I'll do uh, Coca-Cola and <laughs> and cherry and do a cherry hey, Coke icy. Settle down. Um, there, uh, but in this one, I went uh, with my blue and, and red icy, as I always do. I got large popcorn, milk duds and that. And I sat down. Watched 25 minutes of trailers, which ended with the Oppenheimer trailer, of course, because it's Universal Pictures leading into Fast, uh, which is also Universal. Um, so anytime I can watch the Oppenheimer trailer on, on, a, on a Dolby massive screen with sound. Now, I, I watch it every night at home anyways. Like I watched it three times last night before I went and saw Blink-182 <laughs> um, because the trailer just 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 thrills me. Um, but anyway, so I sit down and I watch the film and again, you have to come at this from my perspective. I love these characters. I love these movies. I love I love this franchise. And there are ones I don't love. I don't love six as much as I as I hoped I would. I don't love two. I don't love uh, nine was good, but not mind blowing. Eight. I thought I had some problems with but some cool action scenes. This is my favorite. This is my fourth favorite of the ten. If that makes sense. So five so and seven. Yeah, yeah five, seven. Say, OK, yeah, I would go five, seven, one. And then 10. Okay. I think five, Um, seven, and one is the collective. Yeah. The three best. I think most people will take those three and move them in some kind of order. And why I love this one, and it's brilliant how they do it, is how it ties to five. And five, five has one of the most incredible ending action scenes ever, where they're dragging the bank vault uh, with the cars. And for people who haven't seen Fast 10, 
this is tied to that story. So who they're robbing from at the end of Fast and Furious five, Fast Five is connected to Jason Momoa's character, who's now been edited into these scenes. I don't. I need I actually need to listen to Sean's full interview. I heard clips of it. I haven't heard the whole thing yet, but I'm very curious about how he shot that scene. Um, the opening, particularly of this movie, because the way they edit Momoa into the footage of Fast Five and then you get to see, you know, Paul Walker's character and Vin Diesel. It's really well done, like very, <laughs> very well done um, to me. This film it was, it just hit on every level that I wanted from a Fast and Furious film. It's absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, I care. That's this is why I love Fast and Furious. I care about the characters. So when they're in an insane action scene, I'm immersed in it, even if it's unbelievable, even if it's so ridiculous that my mind is going, this is so stupid. I'm so invested in them getting out safely that I don't care if a kid is on a car or like, you know, Dom is dragging two helicopters behind his car and using them to <laughs> swing around and, and take out take out bad guys like that stuff is so cool to me. It's kind of the reason why I, I, I love old Arnold movies like Commando and, and Predator and and Terminator and like. Things that are just, you know, ridiculous. And I love Terminator. But at the end of the day, these are these are larger than life movies with things that are happening that aren't possible. Um, and so well, what about let me ask you a question. What about the scene with Pete Davidson? Yeah. And and Han yeah. eating the the muffin that sure. theoretically had some sort of drug inside of it that only lasted for like 30 seconds. So Sean's referring to a scene where so with Fast and Furious, without getting any spoilers, the team always breaks off. Right. And they're all on their own little missions. And they all you know, that's the whole bit of Fast and Furious and how they're going to help each other out in the end. Um, that Pete Davidson sequence is it's not I didn't particularly love that scene, but it, but I but I like Luda and Tyrese. So mm -hmm. anytime they're in a scene and they're making fun of each other, I love it. And this movie and this might sound cheesy. But their characters have a great arc in this movie. And I really love them. There's a really sentimental moment that they get to have together later on that hit me. And I know it sounds crazy, but I genuinely liked it. Um, the real reason why this movie is awesome is Momoa. Oh, Momoa yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. Absolutely crushes that performance. It is yes. unhinged, disturbing, funny like I he's one of those characters that I just couldn't wait to see what he was going to do and when he was going to show up and what he was going to say. Best addition I, to the franchise since The Rock. Easily. I think he might be the best villain in the entire Fast franchise that really? I've seen. OK, uh, just because he's and like this is in the trailer. You get a classic race sequence, um, which they, you know, with Jason Momoa's character and like there's and Dominic Toretto and there's like a, it's the classic lineup. You know, they're at a huge event, you know, outside car show. And then you get the classic Fast and Furious like start and everything. But there's that shot that I love where the camera goes through all four car windows as we go through. I mean, it's just it just hit me. It I felt like a kid again. I had a smile on my face the entire time. I thought it was it was really well done. Even like the road. All right, hold sequence. on. Let me ask you this. Oh, let yeah. me ask one, one question because F Gary Gray steps in and I think mm -hmm. most people would argue he didn't do as good of a job with the sure. formula. Right. Yeah. You liked Leteria. You liked him as a fit. I thought Leteria crushed it. Okay. I, 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 and again, we all know that this was set up to be Justin Lin's film. A lot of the, the ideas and the concepts, and I'm sure the locations, as you talked about in your interview, um, where, you know, like you said, like, 
he he's excited to go on to the next one because now he gets to build that out. Yeah, but he I imagine the one. set pieces were pre-planned. Like, I bet you yeah. even if Justin Lin directed, they would have had the big ball through Rome yeah. and all that jazz. Also, I one thing I will say on this movie is I actually liked that it that it, it wasn't too much Dom. And I love Dominic Toretto, but they 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 really found a way to balance him where it's not just him the whole time. Like I the John Cena storyline with the kid is so great. I love that storyline. Like the, the John Cena basically goes on a road trip with uh, Dominic Toretto's kid. And I just loved those scenes. I loved their dialogue. I loved their moments in the cars. I loved Cena. And I think Gabe said this in the show last week. Cena they they found a way to use Cenus really well in this. Like he's really funny. He's over the top. It's fun. Listen, I'm not gonna go on and on about this all day Kevin, long. I do have I, a quick fast question it. for you though. I loved it. Um, we we often talk about and and I'm not like nitpicking or anything because um, sure. I am curious as to whether or not this just is just separate than than what we often talk about sometimes. But one of the the complaints you and I both talk about in other series is a lack of stakes. Yeah. And the the idea of like, if you're not going to kill people off or if you're going to kill them off and bring them back. Sure. How does that diminish any real tension in your action? This series is getting real bad about bringing people back to life, people that we thought were dead. So how as we're heading toward what is supposed to be an ending, whether it be the next film or the next two films, how am I supposed to really think anything's going to happen to these characters if they're not willing to, to kill them off or keep them dead? So it's a great question because you're right, because like a lot of my criticisms about Marvel have been surrounding that. I I think it's tone. I think Fast and Furious has a tone that allows the ridiculous nature of a character to think that they're dead and they somehow come back like the Michelle Rodriguez character. I think she died in four or thought they thought she died in four. four. Then the memory. They actually find a really interesting way to write around it and bring them back. I always to me, that's always actually kind of one of the most interesting things is how is Han alive? How is Michelle Rodriguez alive? How is X, Y, Z character alive? Um, I think and this is going to sound like a cop out to your question, Jake. But like when you're dealing with the tone of a Fast and Furious film, I find that those stakes, even though I care about the characters, I'm forgiving more forgiving of the idea of how ridiculous they know this is. And I think I think with Marvel at the end of the day, while it's super, you know, fantasy and sci fi and things like that, those are, I think, in my opinion, tonally more grounded than Fast and Furious. Sure. I know it sounds strange to say that because you're talking about like Ant-Man and all these characters, but they're grounded in a world that I feel like they've set up a tone where those deaths would matter, that I would care. Now, we haven't seen outside of Michelle Rodriguez, like, I, I guess, yeah, you're right. I mean, Dominic Toretto hasn't died and come back. I don't know. That's a, it's a good question. I don't he know a little why. bit went to the afterlife when he fell into and the nine. water. And, and <laughs> nine. Listen, I, I don't want to drag this on too long. I'll just say this. I loved it. I understand why people don't love these. I totally get it. I mean, it made three hundred and twenty million dollars in its opening weekend worldwide. It clearly has an audience. People. Oh, and I, I saw it at six o'clock on a Thursday night. It was packed. The audience was loving it. It was just it was pure popcorn. And I. And it sounds like a cop out and, you know, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I just I loved it. I loved every second of it. I had so much fun with it and it just entertained the hell out of me. I needed it. It was an escape. And I I just love these characters. So okay. I'm in. Gabe, 
Kevin, would you would you like to add this film to the official Real Blend Fast and Furious tier list? I'd be absolutely honored to do that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, boy, do I, or, or do I have a setup for you? I also want to put this out to the listeners. Let me know if you're if you're into these movies like I am. Like like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's like these are this is a very interesting tonal franchise and. I feel like if you buy into it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I just am curious where our real blind listeners are. I think I bet you we have some fast fans on this that listen to sure, our show. Split, yeah. Kevin, know, aren't you pretty happy with this ranking, though? I mean, yeah, I actually take like, a look I, at this. Let me take a look at You missed it, this. Kev. Yeah. You missed it. Okay. So we, have, we have we have in the D, we have Fate of the Furious and we have Fast and Furious. I think Fate of the Furious is more of a C plus, but I don't. I right. mean, we, I, we went through we went through your rankings, we went through, but, yeah. but this is how everything shook out with everyone else. Then we have for the audio listeners, we have F nine, Hobbs and Shaw, Fast and Furious six, and Too Fast Too Furious. It's C. Uh, we have currently our only B is uh, Tokyo Drift, which I think is still mm. too low. Uh, at the A. We have The Fast and the Furious, OG, and Furious 7. Good. And our only S is Fast 5, which is fitting yeah. for Fast 10. Yeah, I would put 10 at B because um, I think, listen, I think 5 and 7 are both S's, but that's just me. But I'm okay with, this is a good ranking. One's an A, or one's definitely an A. Yeah, I would go B on ten. I don't know where you guys are at. I I I love I loved ten. Sean, I'm on you, B. you and I reviewed the film last week, so we don't have to get into as much detail. You can check out that episode wherever you got yeah. this episode. Yep. Uh, but where do you put it on the ranking for you for your personal ranking? Not not again. Not reflecting what the list looks like already, but but where you would put it. This may surprise you, mm-hmm. but I'm also at B. You're at B. Wow. But I'll tell you the main reason I'm at B. Is Momoa. Momoa, Momoa yeah. is Momoa makes this movie. Momoa he, saves he it from being. It. Yeah. He saves it from being a, a C. He's so good. Like I, I, I would watch. I, I I'm so excited because I, th- I think he's going to be the bad for. I'm assuming the next three. I'm assuming he's the the guy for the three. Oh, so hopefully. let me float. Can we get into a little bit of a spoiler mention here, or um, do we want to well, do it I after really the tier list? Know. Let me, let me do it finish, after the tier. Let me finish the tier list. I I I think also surprisingly, um, because I think for me this is high. I had I mentioned last week during the review that I had more fun with it than I expected. Yeah, yada yada yada. For that, I will give it a C. Um, okay. Because I did enjoy more than than Which I thought. Which is high but, for Gabe because Gabe doesn't like the love these films. Yeah, and Jake Jake hasn't had a chance to catch up with it yet, so we can we can revisit this if he feels strongly. But that puts us at a B. I doubt I will. That puts us. You at really a B. don't think you'll see it? I'll, I'll get around to it, but I mean I don't care enough. You know we we talk about this a lot, so I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, you'll catch up when we... when Fast Ten Part Four comes out. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, we, we, you know, we didn't do the junket. There really wasn't any press opportunities. And I don't care enough about this series to take time out of my schedule to go it's see. It's interesting in because blockbusters to me are the one thing that I will still go out of my way to see on the big screen because yeah. that's yeah. really how they're meant I, to be seen. I sort of treat it like, you know, I, I've gotten to a point with TV shows as well because I try to watch, you know, uh, the shows that people are talking about. But if it gets to a point where I, if I have to force myself Sure. To right. watch a show, uh, as happened with Mandalorian, as happened with The Walking Dead, then I just say, you know, I'm done. I, I'm just not. I'm not gonna. Why am I making myself? And that's kind of how I feel about this series. Like, if I have to force my, like, I want to be excited to go to the movies 
And if I yeah. have to force myself to go see something, as I do with these films, I'm just not I'm not going to oh, do it. I totally forgot to ask you guys this because um, I totally I think I was so in, and this sounds crazy. I think I was so into the movie that I forgot to look. Where was Paul Walker's daughter, Meadow Walker? She was the uh, flight attendant. Oh, in that scene. she With gives John him Cena. the she gives him the the uh, alcohol to use as the fuel in the oh, in the plane well, that they then drop. Out. I didn't well, realize yeah. that was her. That's so funny. <laughs> Let's wow. go ahead and we'll, we'll close out of the tier list. That's what the tier cool. list looks like. And I will throw up a very brief spoiler warning, spoiler section. Sean, you had okay. a, a mention of spoilers. We'll we'll throw that up right now. Skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. Sean, your point. Okay, so. We essentially see for the bulk of Fast X that Momoa's character is torturing Dom for the events of uh, Fast Five. Right. And then in the post credit scene, he eventually confronts oh, yeah. uh, Hobbs and he says, even though Dom did X, Y and Z, you're literally the one who shot my father. So I'm coming for you. Oh, man. And, and Hobbs is like, you know, I'm not hard to find. And he smashes the phone. <laughs> Do you think that, and this is how that like no one really knew that it was going to be a, a, a three-parter, you know, that they thought it was part one and part two. Do you think that Fast 11 or whatever the next movie is going to be is a backdoor Hobbs and Shaw sequel? Oh. That doesn't bring in Dom or anybody? Because we see Statham oh. go off to defend his mom. And then we see Momoa um threatening Hobbs like oh. the next movie could just be Momoa versus Hobbs and Shaw and then they come back to the family for 12 so we're we're in spoiler territory right now right yeah 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 all right so John Cena is definitely not dead right, right? Yeah, like, right. like so dead. right but but yeah. the John Cena death like it, it like we're gonna it, get like, a scene where they do some cool action escape yeah yeah it's cool I'm excited 100%. um I, I, and again, that's kind of goes to Jake's question. I don't that doesn't bother me at all. Um, but in terms of um, but I still felt sad when he when when he died. I was like, oh, no. But then I was like, oh, he'll come back. Um, yeah. <laughs> but now that man, now you got my brain going, because think about how epic this is going to be. If rock with rock back. Yeah, that means we're going to have Hobbs and Shaw together in another Fast and Furious movie with Dominic. Trudeau. I am mean, going against what you're saying, which is like, is this going to be sure. like a, a, a sequel? Think about the stack cast of how this is. I mean, I can't well, dude. You're, you're going to you know, Kurt Russell has to come back. Oh, Kurt yeah, Russell has Mr. to show back up. hundred percent. I thought Brie Larson was great, by the way, too. She was good. Yeah, great. She didn't um, have much to do. I thought she was actually really good in the movie. Actually, I thought she had a good, powerful. Performance. She was good. I just understood after seeing it like, oh, that's how you got her to do this. It took her three days. But her fight scene with Charlize is really. Oh, no, this is Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle yeah. Rodriguez has the fight scene with Charlize Theron. Um, but I will say, like. You're talking about a movie that's going to have Jason Momoa, John Cena, The Rock and Jason Statham and Vin Diesel. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the expendables well, like the of expendables. our time <laughs> of our time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. like, I mean, we're going to get a we're going to be getting a movie where Hobbs and Shaw are probably going to team up in a fight scene. Yeah. That's going to have Momoa, Cena, Diesel Yes, it's going to be insane. Like it's going to be sounds... the end game, the end game yes. of Fast and Furious. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you mean like, the final it's... race? Sean? Oh, yeah. dude. <laughs> yes. Could you imagine if all that's how spot... it has to end is just one giant. It's going to be called the uh, Fast and Furious oh. checkered flag. 
cannonball run. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I am so in for a race with all five of those people. I mean, like, and then they got to bring in like, ah, oh, there's so much to do. All right. So, well, we have a long time to go before that happens because we don't have a release date on these next movies. I think they said I they expected like a couple of years, right? Between them. I thought like was two, the expectation. Like a good two years? Is it I thought be? that was the expectation. Are they on Avatar schedule? But I'm with you. Before we get out of the spoiler thing of that, I'm with you where I was like, it ended and I go, oh, okay, like they, they say there's one more Fast movie, but I they could milk three spinoffs before they finish the Fast saga, sure, so to speak. Sure, so. sure. All right. Huge. Uh, all right, let's get to the huge movie that's going to be opening in Memorial Day weekend, which is The Little Mermaid, the live action The Little Mermaid. And people who have listened to this show for a long time know that we have very strong thoughts about Disney's live action remakes, uh, sometimes favorably, most times not. Um, this is Rob Marshall, who is directing one I, what I believe to be is one of the greatest uh, Disney animated features, not just for the animation, which I think is truly special, um, but for the songs. The songs on the soundtrack for The Little Mermaid are just like untouchable classics, uh, Part of Your World and Under the Sea and um, it's one other, Kiss the Girl. Like there's just so many great songs on there. Ursula, what's Ursula's? Poor Unfortunate Souls. Um, and I'm slightly biased. Little Mermaid is Michelle's favorite. Like I think I've told you guys the story about the first time I watched Michelle watch The Sound of Music and she went into like a trance and just was mm. able to like say every single word in it and sing everything from it. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that this was your movie kind of thing. Um, little mermaid is like that for her as well too. her and her sisters would constantly uh, sing that, that, that song. And it was very, very, uh, very, very important to her. Um, so I went into this with extremely low expectations um, because I haven't loved the live action films and I haven't seen the need for them when, when given the fact that the animated films are as good as they are. And and for me to say that like a live action version of Little Mermaid was going to potentially top the original, let alone just live up to it, uh, I didn't think it was going to happen. And yet I had the time of my life with this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought the underwater stuff looked great. And I just thought that Halle Bailey is a instant breakout star. You know, every once in a while you see a performance from somebody where you're just like, oh, you are extremely talented and you're going to be around for forever. Um, I'm glad they got rid of some of the songs. I didn't love all the new songs, but I, I found I really liked the Lin-Manuel Miranda scuttlebutt song. And I know some people are complaining about that one already. And I don't understand why, because I thought it was, I thought it was really entertaining. Um, I thought it fleshed out Prince Eric's character, who is really uh, nothing in the original kind of thing. And I thought he had more of an emotional arc. And um yeah, I liked it. I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. And like I said, I think this because the expectations were potentially low. Um, Jakey, where did you fall on live action Little Mermaid? Yeah, I mean, I I have a long history on this show of talking about how much I hate the the cash grabs that are the the remakes, and oftentimes I won't even call them live action remakes of of Disney movies because The Lion King was not a live action remake. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised by Little Mermaid. I honestly walked in, which you shouldn't, but sometimes you can't help it. Uh, walked in sort of expecting to hate this movie mm -hmm. uh and i thought honestly i thought it was incredibly charming um i i thought it was toe tapping i enjoyed myself um i thought it was fun uh like you said halle bailey is a born star i think this is the first of many times we're going to be talking about her she already looks fantastic in the trailer for color purple which i think she's going to be great in that being said 
I do have a lot of issues with the film. Um, I do think a lot of the underwater sequences just don't work for me. There are some shots like faraway shots that are, I'm assuming, mostly CGI that I do think look really good. But a lot of the close ups uh, work to me look like a dry actor in front of a green screen. Mm. Um, it just it, I, it, it never tricked my mind into believing that these people were underwater. Um, I, now, how you fix that, I don't know. I don't know if that you put a blue filter over them or whatever, but it, I very much felt the separation. And to me, just the, maybe the HD quality of the cameras and everything, it's just like you could see the makeup on their faces. And it's just like the, the, I, I, it, they look dry. They don't look like they're underwater. Mm. Um, I do think at almost 220 that this movie is too long. It's mm. the exact same story that an 85-minute animated story movie told but stretched out an hour, almost an hour longer, uh, mm. which inherently means that it's the same story, but slower. Mm. Um, so I really think they could have trimmed it up. Uh, you know, they, a lot of the performance were great. And but there were some some laughable moments we won't give away. But a lot of them fall within the last 60 <laughs> seconds of the film in which okay. I don't know about y'all. I know we've been joking about yeah. uh, a particular moment in the in the final 60 seconds of the film. But that moment literally caused my theater to erupt in laughter <laughs> and not in a good way. Um, but Wait, uh, so do you think it was an insert? Do you think it was like something done know, much, much later? Bad. And, okay. and, you know, and that's just not, you know, if, if that moment had been buried halfway through the movie, maybe we would have forgotten about it and then brought yeah. it up like, oh, hey, remember that? But the fact that you walk out on that note is such a weird thing. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think this movie is just a reminder, not that we need a reminder, but a, I'm always down for a reminder of how much of a genius Alan Menken is. Yeah. He brought up the music and just... And, you know, I, I did like the Scuttlebutt song, but it's one of those things that I love Lin and Mo Miranda. But there's a part of me that it's starting to feel like, all right, dude, you got to show me something else, because a lot of your songs are starting to feel like okay. like Lin and Miranda songs. Um, but I mean, there are so many of the, the classic Alan Macon songs from the original that when brought to life just are to me a reminder of how much of a true genius that man is. So uh, we've, was, we've come a long way since Hamilton on Hamilton. This is true. This is true. Show me something new, well, buddy. Come on. Like there's just, it was just one of those, like, <laughs> it was just like, okay, this is very Lin-Manuel Moore, Moran. Like, or, 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 you know, when we, you know, the, the rock song in, uh, in uh, Moana, it's just like, yeah. okay, like I, like, yeah, I know you're very good at this. And it falls into that category of like, whenever I say, Oh, it's a very good version of a thing that we've heard before. The scuttlebutt song is a very good version version of a Lin-Manuel Miranda song that we've heard before you know it's um so yes while I do have some complaints I was very pleasantly surprised by no means do I love this song but I thought it was very charming and definitely on the better end of the the live action Disney remakes cool and Kev where are you I mean I mean, I, I haven't had really a big problem with the live action remakes. I love the Jungle Book. I thought Favreau did a great job with that. I was um, I didn't particularly love Aladdin because I think the biggest problem with that one for me was you bring in a guy like Guy Ritchie and then there's no Guy Ritchie voice in the movie. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. a Guy Ritchie movie. And I'm not saying that he has to make a Guy Ritchie movie every time. But when you're hiring Guy Ritchie, I expect a certain tone of Guy Ritchie um, in an Aladdin, you know, but in I guess terms you pair of, him with a family movie. Like it just was a weird fit. It was a very weird fit. Um, yeah. And again, I've no, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I have no problem with people taking risks in different steps, but um, I feel like he made that movie because he knew it would make a lot of money that, and then that would give him the freedom to make all the lower budget stuff that he wants to make outside of it. And once you make a billion dollar film, you're, you know, you're given freedom to do what you want to do. Um, 
in terms of the little mermaid so i love the original clearly everyone does and and it's you know the music in that film it's gonna sound like a hot take i think the animation in the original movie looks better than the underwater scenes in this movie and I, I don't I, mean, I don't you're saying, say but I also feel like that's an unfair it, comparison. I feel like that's that's no, I'm the reason I'm making that comparison is technology has advanced hugely uh, since that first movie. And I know it's hand drawn animation versus CGI, but I genuinely believe that the animation in the original film looks better visually and immersively than the underwater scenes in this movie. To Jake's point, it feels like I'm watching an actor who's dry on a styrofoam set, the hair is all CGI, and they're adding it in, and it's distracting. And also, okay, let um, me ask you, I, I just want to interrupt really quick, Kevin. Were, were there, and this is me nitpicking, and I get that this is me nitpicking, but there were moments where things did not behave underwater the way things should. There was a moment where she tosses a watch, and yeah. it just it just falls to the ground. There's a moment yeah. where she shoves sand and the sand falls down. Now, there are other, like, there are moments where, like, she throws paper and the paper floats, but, like, there were moments where I was like, okay, clearly gravity is at work here and things aren't right. flo- like, like there shouldn't, shouldn't someone have been like, Hey, that watch that she throws should not just drop to the ground. It should float right. or waver and the sand should disperse into the, the wall. Like, right. like did that, am I the only person who that bothered? It's yes. not a bad, it's not a bad point. No, no. And, and, I, and I, Jake, Jake's mentioning something that, that, that needs to be dissected for two seconds. There's a difference in when you're watching a film, if somebody goes, oh, that's impossible. That car couldn't fly off that cliff. Dominic Tretto couldn't take two helicopters behind his car and use them as weapons to kill bad guys. This is not what we're saying. When you're making a movie like this, even though it's a mermaid and it's a fantasy movie, Directors do take their time to look at the physics of things and how sure. things would react in an environment. And we're not sitting here trying to nitpick it and go, that's impossible. We're yeah. not trying to be those guys. Because we accept that, that we're, we we're looking it. at a world where mermaids exist. That's fine. Exactly. Like, I, I, that's, I accept that mermaids exist in this world. Right. But they have to exist in a world where there's like physics still works. Right. Physics is and, still a thing. And, that, and that's the thing is like, like that's that's the hard part about when you're mentioning when you're making a comment about something like that, because people are like, well, you're talking about a a, a mermaid film. And it's like, yes, we know that. But but there's a certain well, not only that, reality. but like a kid movie, you know, you right. got to assume is a kid going to be bothered by this? Sure. And, that's and fine. they might not. But, they might not even. OK, know but to, to, to uh, you know, not to knock Rob Marshall, but to like to just say, oh, I don't have to care about these things because kids are my target audience, like is kind of a cop out. Well, we're not saying that yes. he said that, but, but 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 that's to Sean's rebuttal. But and so yeah. real quick. So in terms of this film, Halle Bailey, to me, is better than the movie by far. Like oh, her yes. performance yeah. and her voice and her scenes are Terrific. incredible. Like an I'm actual, Melissa McCarthy was great. too. Oh, Melissa McCarthy was really great. Love Melissa McCarthy. So Melissa McCarthy and Halle Bailey, to me, are the reasons why you would go see this movie. Yes. Um. My biggest problems with this movie outside of the underwater CGI and things like that. And again, I I feel like every week uh, I'm talking about certain aspects of CGI in a negative way. But it has I was talking to a buddy of mine last night. I feel like CGI has gone kind of gone backwards a little bit. I feel like we've gone backwards slightly in terms of the way it looks. Um, But that's another conversation for later. In terms of the story and the performance, I did not feel the chemistry at all between Jonah Howard King, who plays Prince Eric, and and our Ariel. That didn't work for me. She is so much better in terms of singing, acting, and and it just feels like there's a major disconnect between the two performances. She's on a different level, and he's not there. And he's not he's not horrible. 
but he's just okay and she's outstanding. Mm -hmm. So to me, it almost feels like he sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of quality. And I know we got to move on, but um, that was my one of my biggest problems. I didn't connect to their love story and I wanted to because the whole point of the film is you have these two characters who are curious about life their parents are trying to overprotect them they're trying to find each other and and be with each other but they're not allowed it's like Romeo and Juliet it's like whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. but at the end of the day that needs to work I need those two characters chemistry to take me in and I didn't feel that so when they were like when she would do a song I'd be like that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Then they go to one of his solo songs. I'm like, that doesn't sound he wasn't anywhere near. Good. Yeah, it's it's flat. So that to me was a big problem. Like Jake said, it's too long. They took a, a film that was already kind of great as it was and then expanded it. And I understand the different changes in the new songs and things like that. I know that they did change some of the lyrics from the original songs to update to, you know, with today and everything. I thought that was really smart. Um, But in terms of the chemistry, wasn't feeling it, wasn't feeling the underwater stuff. The ending that you guys are referring to without getting into spoilers uh, that's yeah. There was some. Like, it did not look good. <laughs> just stop um, picturing that one yeah, shot. I, I, I can't. I can't. Um, but I will. <laughs> uh, all I'll say is did Javier they laugh Bardem. In your theater? Uh, yeah, um, Javier Bardem is what we'll say. Uh, but in terms of the movie, I that's where I'm at. So it's like a mixed bag for me. Like I, I think that Halle Bailey's performance is worth seeing. And she's outstanding. She's a five out of five. Yeah. The movie is not. And that's just the, to me, that's just the reality of it. I'm sitting there watching this movie and I'm thinking to myself, they have a star who's being born on screen. Yeah. I mean, she's already a star, but this is going to rocket skyrocket her. And I and I couldn't stop thinking to myself, I wish she had better material. I wish yeah. she had a better co-star. I wish she had just better visual effects. When you watch Avatar The Way of Water, and they have actors performing underwater and performance capture. And then obviously the characters end up being CG, but that's the future. That's why Aquaman and this, it doesn't, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look right. It looks strange. Like watching an actor. They didn't give this Cameron's budget, you know, no, like it's, I, I, it's all cost. It's all cost. I get it. I get it. But there's there's got to be a situation where somebody watched that footage and said, this is not working mm-hmm. like it, it, it and, and the concept of having an actor underwater. And this might be another thing this might, that bothered me. And this is going to probably annoy people when I say this and this kind of goes to Jake's point. I needed air bubbles <laughs> coming out of their <laughs> mouths um, because the, and I've, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's air bubbles when they when the characters talk in this movie. No. And I that. Again, it's a mermaid movie. I get it. But that bothered me. <laughs> that just bothered me. I, I hmm. think that there should have been air bubbles. I'm, I, I just found that to be distracting. Um, I can see people in the comment section. This guy's an idiot. You're talking about a mermaid movie, whatever. But anyways, I, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a mixed bag. These are okay. the hardest movies to review, as we all say all the time. The middle of the road ones, the ones that have amazing qualities. Yeah. And then the ones that just don't work. It's... Like, I'm telling you, you should see it for her, but I'm also telling you that I didn't like the film overall. You've come a long way from our Lion King review. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of more in the middle. Yeah, but she's great. And I am agree with Jake. She looks amazing in Color Purple. I'm very excited about that performance. And I think she's extremely talented. And 
Good for her. She her voice. Part of your world is an outstanding performance. And Melissa McCarthy's Poor Unfortunate Souls. That's a great scene. Great scene. The Little Mermaid is projected to make one hundred and forty million over the four day weekend. So we will domestic. Uh, yes. Yeah. Wow. That's. Wow, so we will come back to see how it does. Makes uh, Fast 10 look a little slow, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, but I'm what's, actually, what's actually funny about that is the numbers for Little Mermaid, I think, are like 220 worldwide, which is it just kind of shows you something interesting there sure, because yeah. fa- Fast is a global, is really a global film. Sure. Um, and not, not that Little Mermaid isn't. But like Fast had like a $67 million opening, whatever it was. Domestically, this will do whatever yes. the 140 in four well, days or whatever it would be. The pre-sales for Little Mermaid in China, I want to say, were like $150,000. And, 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 and China is a huge Fast and Furious market. And yeah, so that sure. and that's that just kind of shows you because I'm, I'm reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's book right now, uh, Total Recall. And he's talking about the, the business as he's coming up as an great actor. And like, it's great, great title. title. Really it's a missed great... opportunity to not just call it I'm back. No, Total Recall is a great because it's, no, it's, 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 it's a guys, memoir. It's you're a missing memoir. it again. It's called I'll Be Book. But real quick in the in the book, he's talking about becoming a businessman and understanding box office. And even back then, he was he was he would go into a movie production and think, OK, Will the audience in Japan get this? Will the audience in China get this? And like global box office is such a big deal. That's fascinating to me. Little Mermaid had that low of pre-sales in China. It just shows you that that feels like maybe a more of a domestic film. It's in, that's interesting. I thought Little Mermaid would be more, more global. That's well, fascinating. Let's see. We shall see. Yeah. All right, let's throw it to a quick break and then come back with the blend game. And we are back. Okay, so the blend game this week is hashtag Disney live action blend. Uh, We changed it up in the fact that we are taking a classic animated Disney film that has yet to be made into live action uh, that we would love to see translated into live action, especially with the use of technology being what it is. Jake Hamilton, where did you start with a a Disney animated classic that you want to see in live action? So um, I'm going to sort of cheat a little bit because I've talked a lot about how much I hate the Disney live action movies. And and one of the things I've always said is I don't mind you doing these live action remakes, but maybe give us an angle that we're not familiar with. Maybe sort of let's look at a familiar story, but from a different perspective. I would love to see as much as I hated the Lion King remake. I would love to see the Lion King from the perspective of Scar. Uh, or mm. maybe some of the events that that led up to that. How was his name always Scar? Did he get the scar? Did he get the scar on his eye? And then he was nicknamed Scar. Is mm-hmm. his name Larry? Actually, like you know, just sort of like growing up with, <laughs> like growing up as the, the lesser brother Larry of King. my father, Larry. Larry, King. <laughs> <laughs> growing up uh, as the, the, brother, the brother of Mufasa. Like what? What was that like? I think there's a really cool. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I always loved about. Um, you know, the, the original Lion King is it is Hamlet. It's very Shakespearean. I think mm-hmm. there is another Shakespearean story to be told there. Um, and again, I don't want to soften Scar because I think he's an amazing Disney villain. So keep him by, by all means, keep him the villain. But that story from his perspective, I mean, mm-hmm. don't forget, there's a freaking like Nazi image illusion in the lion king when the hyenas are marching that's a very world war ii nazis mar- I, that's how i always interpret it. i don't know if you remember yeah. um <laughs> but uh but i mean that i think that there is something really i think there's a really fascinating story to be told there lion king from scar's perspective i like it kev where'd you go it's funny i i, I was looking through a lot of the films and not that i have an elaborate answer as to why but i would love to see a live action fantasia Ooh, okay. Ooh. I, I just remember 
that uh, there's something about that film that that I think about that reminds me of my childhood. And I think that would be a fascinating one to dive into. I don't know that I can elaborate as to why mm-hmm. but that was the, that. I, and I haven't seen that movie probably since I was a, I was a kid. But as I was like looking through all the classic Disney animated movies, I was like, man, I remember Fantasia being like a movie that I remember seeing as a kid that like like that blew me, blew me away in terms mm-hmm. of like I just remember seeing it and going that would be cool. So now that I'm like thinking about live action, I don't know how you would do Fantasia. A lot of these are impossible. You got to fix the CGI like, problem if that's the case. Yeah, <laughs> Fantasia. And Little Mermaid. That's the thing is like Little Mermaid. We were talking about that just now. If you would have told me that they were going to make a live action Little Mermaid, I would have told you that's not gonna look good it's gonna be impossible yeah. <laughs> you can't actually unless you unless technology has gotten to a point where we can make it look realistic um or whatever realistic means anyway so i would go fantasia that's that i might be a, a um a softball answer but because no, it's, it's cool just answer. the one that i the one that i one that i thought about i just don't know have a i don't have a reason for it it's just the one that i thought about all right i entertained tangled um where her hair is essentially cgi mm. but but then i saw big hero six and I oh, would really good to see answer. a live action Big Hero Six. That's an because that, that's an Amblin movie waiting yeah. to be told. It's young yeah. kids. Uh, the the youngest one is essentially uh, on a vengeance mission for his big brother being killed. It's going against you know a super powered uh, tech villain essentially. And I want to see Baymax in live action. I just think he'd be adorable. I think he would be squishy and warm and. I would love him. So um, what's interesting about this discussion, by the way, is and we're all going to talk about Spider-Verse uh, next week when it comes out. Um, but talking about Into the Spider-Verse, for example, because we've all seen across the Spider-Verse, but we can't talk about it yet. Um, but Into the Spider-Verse, I remember sitting there in that theater watching it and going, oh, this is all the stuff that we can now have Spider-Man do that we couldn't get done in live action. Yeah, because right. anything that happens in the Spider-Verse movies you're immediately not going to be taking out of the film. You're like, you're, you're already in the immersion of the animation. There's yes. no, Oh, that look, didn't look real. That looks fake. That actor looks like it's going on a green screen. That's why the spider verse films are so interesting to me because they can do whatever the hell they want. Correct. And it works. And that's why like when we're having this discussion right now, like I'm thinking about big hero six or Fantasia or whatever movie we're talking about in terms of turning it into live action. A lot of that stuff wouldn't be able to. It wouldn't work. It just, it just, yeah. The it, challenge it would be very you strip it down. You have to strip it back down, basically. But you got to give Favreau credit for Jungle Book. That sure. looked outstanding. That yeah, yeah, kid yeah. and the way that he performed with those animals and like and the and the CG aspect of it, the voice work. That movie actually looked awesome. I yeah. thought. I thought Favreau crushed with that one. I thought I, that might be the best live action remake they've made. Well, as I, I think I've told this joke on the show many a time that my mom went to go see The Lion King and called me immediately afterwards. She went with it with my aunt. And they I think my mom has seen one movie in a theater in the past 25 years, probably. I think it was <laughs> Goodfellas was the last one she saw. Yeah. And then Lion King then was Lion the next King. one. And then Lion King. Um, and she called me afterwards and she said, boy, that was that was something else. How did they make the lions do that? Which I just thought was the most adorable thing in the world. That's cool. That's actually, that's a, that that's a, wait. Which we're talking Jake about the new Lion King, King now. The, yeah, the new one, the Favreau one. Yeah. So she, she thought, was, she thought they, they trained lions to do that. To do. The I things will say the, the CG looked good. I I think. I, I know people. I know Jake. We we have a whole argument about this on the show. But yeah. that comment from your mom is exa- is, is 
literally an encapsulation of the magic and power of movies. That's cool. I mean, well, and also, and she's 80 something years old. So what? <laughs> Think about how cool. But she genuinely asked you that, right? She wasn't joking. Yeah. No, no, no. She was not joking. She That's, legitimately believed that they trained the lions to get the shot. That's cool. Yeah, that's beautiful. cool. If you told Favreau that he would flip out. He would. Absolutely. That's, um, a, big, that's a big compliment. All right. Audience picks. Uh, Isaiah Washington says the hunchback of Notre Dame. That's an interesting Ooh, one. That could be intriguing. Jordan. Yeah. Went say with Isaiah Washington. Isn't that an Isaiah actor? Isaiah Washington. Um, Isaiah Washington's an actor. I, I, I'm sure there's more than one in the world. Yes. I no, I know. But <laughs> I, I, but Isaiah Washington, like I, I just haven't. I've never. Maybe met he listens her. to the show. That's what I'm wondering. Like, do you think it's, um, it's, also, do you think it's ha- also a basketball player, professional basketball player? Isaiah Jordan Washington. says uh, the brave little toaster. But I think that's a joke. I'm not sure if that's a real pick. Or not. Hey, man, watch brave it be like his like favorite like Disney movie. And he's got this huge <laughs> like, like 80 page pitch ready to go. And he heard you say that a single tear rolls down his cheek. When I was a kid, the brave little toaster was huge. It was. John, I, I remember that being big. Joshua yeah. Titan said the emperor's new groove. Uh, Danny Phil Underrated. says the black cauldron. Oh, John Palmer and others join me with big hero six way to go there. Uh, Rita says sleeping beauty and Ariel pace says treasure planet. So we want to thank everybody for participating this week. Uh, fun responses from you guys. I think that's really great. And uh, now I'm curious to see how we're doing this for next week. So next week, according to Gabe, uh, you will be reaching out on Twitter or emailing us at realblend.com to play Hashtag Spidey blend. So picking favorite movie is too easy, right? Well, this is what I I wanted to ask you, Sean. We didn't have a chance to talk about this before the show, but I wanted to ask our Spider-Man expert if you'd rather do movie, which could be interesting because I think Across the Spider-Verse is gearing up to be in the running. Sure. um, Or favorite Spidey moment on the big screen. I figured moment. I I, I like moment. All right. Favorite Spidey moment moment on the big screen. Live action. From any. Spider-Man movies. Yep. Live action, animation, yeah. the Avengers movies, Civil War. Civil War, yeah, all of it, yeah. Yeah, Damn, that's a big, fighting that's a, movie that's a, on the big, big screen. I think I got it. All right, anyway. I think I got it, too. I think you, you spent several months contemplating that, Sean, I think. Do we know Sean's, Jake? Almost a year and a half. I don't know Sean's. It's the dance in Spider-Man 3. Do I know, <laughs> do I know Sean's? Nothing I'm is trying iconic. To, Sean, is yours in an, a live action or an animated? Live action. Find out more next week. Yeah, uh, it's definitely it. it's definitely Tom Holland. Our Something next Tom Holland. premium episode is going to be a mailbag. So send us your questions. And again, check the description below for more information on how you can sign up. We have a lot of really fun interviews uh, in the mix for the next coming weeks. So you're going to want to follow along with the show uh, and all of us on social media at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kobach. And the show is at Real Blend. We'll see you guys next week at the brand new episode. And until then. The man who moved the earth. Larry Crown. And got out of the way for Barbie. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.